as we take a look at these truths this evening, let's, let's draw our attention to the first one, one that I believe has been misunderstood. This one relates to the personality and character of the Holy Spirit himself. When you think of the types and symbols of the Holy Spirit, what's the very first one that comes to your mind? Dove. Never fails. The dove. We see every church stationary somewhere usually has a dove on it somewhere. We think of the Holy Spirit as being this one that we frighten away all the time. We have to, you know, put your finger out and, you know, spirit with peanut butter or something like that to get him to come and land. And then he lands Pentecost Sunday, comes and baptizes a few people with the Holy Spirit. But then we do something a little wrong. We sing the wrong song and we scare him away and he flies back to the dove cage in Springfield, Missouri at the headquarters of the Assemblies of God. And they lock him up till next year. We think of the Holy Spirit as being this, this uh, terribly uh, easily scared uh, manifestation of, of who God is. But the Holy Spirit is not a manifestation of God. He is God, the third person of the Trinity, right? A lot of people think God the Father, he's really, really God. God the Son, he's pretty much God. And God the Holy Spirit, well, he's just a notch above an archangel. That's not the way it works. God is one, yet he reveals himself to us in three eternally distinct persons. And they're co-equal and co-existent. God has always been that way. He just didn't one day say, I think I'm going to create deified mitosis and break up into three beings. That's not the way it was. God has always been that way. He's higher than us. God is different than us. That should be a great spot for an amen. Because a lot of people think God is a lot like us. While we are created in his image, he is holy, righteous, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and he is magnificent. We don't really classify for much of that, right? Let's look at this first truth tonight. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. This first truth relating to the character and personality of the Holy Spirit that will help us enter into a more dynamic friendship with him is recognizing that the Holy Spirit is sensitive. I mentioned a minute ago that we have this idea that the Holy Spirit is easily scared away from us, that we do one thing wrong and he flies out the window. Is that a biblical idea? I've heard all my life, the Holy Spirit is a... I didn't feed you enough. We always say the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. You've heard that before, right? Where in the world do we get an idea like that? Can you imagine comparing God to a man? Does that mean he opens a door for you? He puts his coat in the mud puddle so you can walk across it? But what does that mean? Well, people say they usually interpret that as being the Holy Spirit never will force his way in on you. Well, tell, try to tell Saul of Tarsus that. I mean, the Holy Spirit came down and knocked him off his donkey and put thick cataracts on his eyes, you know, knocked him senseless, and he still could have said no. How many of you have ever experienced a touch from the Holy Spirit before? Did he come up and say, I just want to touch you? I heard testimony from someone today. They said, I've never in all my life sensed and felt the presence of the Holy Spirit like I felt this morning. But what was that like? Did he come up and, and, uh, you know, tickle you on the shoulders or something like that? We think of the Holy Spirit many times in such wrong concepts. How is the Holy Spirit sensitive? Jesus did, in fact use terminology that helps us clue us into who the Holy Spirit is, what his personality is like. Well, there's a couple dimensions here. The first one, under this idea that the Holy Spirit is sensitive, is that the Holy Spirit is vulnerable. This is a very important word. Not vulnerable in the sense 
of weakness, like we would think of vulnerability. Don't make yourself vulnerable. But vulnerable in the sense of weakness. No, that's not the way the Holy Spirit is vulnerable. But vulnerable in the sense of transparency to the point of rejection. What's our biggest fear in life? Rejection. What's the biggest hurt we have in life? What's the thing that can paralyze someone's life more than perhaps any other thing that takes place? Even catastrophic, harmful circumstances from a stranger. The greatest thing that can happen is when we're rejected by people that we love or people that we're looking towards or those things. I mean, those things are catastrophic in our lives. The Holy Spirit has chosen to be vulnerable. I mean, talk about vulnerable. People get uncomfortable. That God, vulnerable? Boy, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Thousands of years before you or I ever were drawing air into our lungs, God gave the life of his one and only son for people like us. Talk about fixer-upper projects. I mean, God gave his only son's life. You people are fine. I, I love you. We've been here many times. We have a relationship with many of you. We love pastor. But I'm sorry. I wouldn't give any one of our children for any one of you. And I'm sure you feel the same way about your kids in relationship to us. I mean, it's just different than having a friendship and, and being a dad. I mean, that's just a totally different era, a totally different uh, uh, arena to be in. But thousands of years before any one of us were ever born, God made himself so vulnerable that he gave his one and only son. And on top of that, you can choose to still be like those that spit upon him and rejected him and crushed the crown of thorns in his brow. And the only time you ever use the name of Jesus is to blaspheme and curse something. God's vulnerable in that respect. He chose to be that vulnerable to the point of transparency, to the point of, re of possible rejection. And the same way, the Holy Spirit is transparent and vulnerable in those ways to us. You know that there are different things in your life that welcome His presence. We'll look at those in just a moment. But there are certainly some things that drive His presence away. One of the greatest prayer discoveries I ever made, and we'll talk more about this in, in conclusion here in just a minute, is that I personally made was when I asked the Holy Spirit, what do you like and what do you dislike? What are the things that really attract your presence to my life and what are the things that repel you away? It was a very powerful moment for me. I began to study the scriptures and began to take some big notes because the scripture is really implicit about this. The Holy Spirit loves to reveal Jesus. That's the focal point. People say, I'm uncomfortable about having a conference on the Holy Spirit. Why don't we have a conference on Jesus? Well, don't let anybody know. It's just our secret, but that's really what this is. Because the Holy Spirit, his primary focus is to magnify Jesus. Everything he does, we say, we, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, come and touch us. He's saying, oh, I can't wait to pour out more of Jesus into your life. Again, John 16, 15, all that the Father has is mine, Jesus said. That's why I said the Spirit will take of what is mine and will reveal it, disclose it, manifest it to you. People say, I'm uncomfortable about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's too much focus on the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit's God himself, right? He's no less God than Jesus or the Father is God. Why do we get uncomfortable that way? Because of misconceptions of who he is. But even if as we begin to pursue him, welcome his presence, enter his ministry, and allow him to flow through our lives, he just points us more and more and more to Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to reveal Jesus. You want to wel welcome the Holy Spirit in your life in a greater way, ask him to come and reveal Jesus to you. He's sitting on the edge of his chair, so to speak, and can't wait to come and reveal more of Jesus to you. What is he not like? Well, Scripture shows us a lot of things. He doesn't like to be grieved. The context there is believers. 
I believe for many years that the Holy Spirit's more at work in some sleazy behind-the-tracks bar on Sundays than he is in most churches. Did you hear that? Does that upset you at all? No, that's the way it's supposed to be. What's the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal our need, the, uh, our, our need for God, conviction, John 16, 8, the spirit of truth coming and convicting the lost, the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the top of God's to-do list to bring as many people into his kingdom. And he does that by the work of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't like to be grieved. That's Ephesians 4.30 is a text on that. And it talks there, it's about believers. He doesn't like to be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. The context there is about spiritual gifts. Despise not prophesying. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Hold fast that which is good. Let go of that which is evil. He's talking about spiritual giftings there. Quenching the Holy Spirit. How many times have we quenched the Holy Spirit by not allowing his gifts and power to flow through our lives? How many ever recognize you've missed an opportunity for God to use you in one of his powerful ways? I mean, we all have. The rest of your hands just aren't working right now. But it's true, we've all missed it. We've quenched, and, and I, I don't know why it is, but a lot of times it's easier to recognize it after the fact, isn't it? And the before the fact, it's hard to recognize because we're big chickens. That's really the way we are. If you could see in the spirit right now, we'd be a, this would be a hen house right now, right? Because we're all scared to death. We're scared, of, we're scared of rejection. We're scared of doing something wrong. We're scared we might say the wrong thing. But again, it's not our responsibility to convince anyone of anything. It's just our responsibility to speak what the Lord has laid upon our heart, and the Holy Spirit does a marvelous job of convincing. He's a much better convincer than we are. And when we assume the proper roles, the anointing flows in an unrestricted manner. What is the first response we have to the Holy Spirit? What's your natural response to the Holy Spirit moving upon your life? The Bible shows us that it is to resist him. In Acts chapter 6, I believe it's verse 30, is that right? I'm sorry, Acts 7, 50. Um, Stephen says to the crowd that's getting ready to martyr him, by the way, it wasn't the Satanist church that martyred Stephen, it was the Pharisees, right? Important point to make there. When they were getting ready to martyr him, he was having a vision of God, and they were picking up stones to kill him. And Peter, or uh, Stephen rather, cries out, you stiff-necked people, why do you always resist the Holy Spirit? You look at this, grieved, quenched, resisted, or rejected. The same, same word can be translated. I mean, why are these important, and who are these directed to? It's not directed towards the lost. It's, it's directed towards believers, people who should know better, people with religious education. But the problem is we would rather have a full brain than a full heart. There are many people that come and say, I want to know everything there is to know about God. Fill my head. But when it comes time for them to experience and to know, they say, no, 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 that's, that can lead to emotionalism. It's nuts. I said it this morning, but who created your emotions anyway? Resisted or rejected, that's, that's what we do best. Why? Control. Any other control freaks out there? We're afraid of really, so to speak, letting go. That's kind of a cliche, but that whole idea of really, you know, just what if God really did have his way? You ever pray, Lord, please come and touch me? You ever pray that prayer? Well, what if he did? There'd be little piles of carbon all over the ground with shoes, you know, 
I mean, what if he did? What if God really did come and touch us in that way? But he's our loving Heavenly Father. And when we begin to welcome him, we say, God, come and touch me. Do whatever you want to do in my life. Show yourself to me. Reveal your spirit to me. Magnify Jesus in me. We pray all these prayers, all the right words. And we only mean about 15% of them. Lord, do whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't disrupt my life. Lord, do everything. Fill, overflow my life, Lord. Oh, God, I invite you to transfer your ocean into my vast ravine using this little eyedropper over the next 200 years. Lord, just a little bit at a time. Lord, pour all of heaven's ocean in my life. Just use this little drinking straw as the conduit, Lord. I mean, we pray things, but we don't really think about the full magnitude. Why? Because it's a natural response to resist. We want more of God, but we don't want him to disrupt our normalcy. This was the problem with the Pharisees. Here Stephen came. Well, here Jesus came. He didn't come with the right packaging for them, so they began to resist him. And Caiaphas, the high priest that year, prophesied, didn't he? And he said, it's better for one to die for the many. He didn't realize that he was setting up the sacrificial atonement for all mankind. Resisting, quenching, lied to, Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, there's so many ideas here. Blaspheme, Matthew talks about that. Let me just make a statement here. If you're ever concerned that you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're worried about that, let me give you the ability to sleep soundly. If you're concerned that you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you haven't done it. Because there would be no conviction, no, no regret, no remorse in the life of a person that has grieved the Holy Spirit away. The Holy Spirit's the one that comes in and convicts us of sin, right? And by the way, the whole, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, according to what Jesus showed us in Scripture, is not a one-time event, but it's a long-term, unrepentant heart condition. That's exactly what he was saying, that they were attributing the works of Christ to Satan himself. This was a long-term rejection. This wasn't just a momentary slip of the tongue. This was a long-term uh, place of rejection. The Holy Spirit's sensitive. He's vulnerable. He has likes and dislikes. But when we talk about him being sensitive, he's not overly sensitive. I said earlier, you know, we think about we have to really kind of almost like we're going, trying to trap the Holy Spirit, trying to catch him, you know, like we're, we're out putting some, some stuff on the trap, you know, some whatever he likes. I don't know what doves like, say berries or something like that, you know. You get this dove trap all set up right. And we have the duck call, whatever that sounds like. Duck, dove, oh, goodness. <laughs> Well, in the Bible codes, it really is duck. No, it's not. I'm just teasing. But, uh, you know, we, we have all these crazy ideas that we're trying to capture this elusive, spiritual, invisible butterfly. That's not the way the Holy Spirit is. That's spooky and mystical. The Holy Spirit's not spooky and mystical. Now, we like to be spooky and mystical about the things of God, but the Holy Spirit's not spooky and mystical. He's not oversensitive concerning sin. Let's look at that for a minute. Holy Spirit being sensitive, but not oversensitive concerning sin. If, you were to, if I were to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit sensitive towards? I mean, what really drives him away? We'd right away, the very first thing that would probably roll off every one of our lips is sin. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is not prudish concerning sin. The Holy Spirit's main work is standing in the gutters of sin and pulling men and women out, revealing to them Jesus. We think about, the, you know, the Holy Spirit. Boy, we need a revival in that town. They're full of reprobates. Well, the Holy Spirit's over there working because that's where the Holy Spirit lives. He lives in sin's ghetto. 
He's there trying to draw men and women, trying to reveal Christ. That's where the Holy Spirit is. And for some dumb reason, after we're born again, we think that if we go 36 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, that we've got to do three weeks of spiritual detention and not have a touch from God. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and convict us and to help us. And when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The Holy Spirit's not scared of you sinning. Now, he doesn't want you to sin, but he's used to it. He's, he loves to come and deal with people in their sin. That's why you're here tonight, because God has dealt with you at some point in your life about your sin, and he's done that through the working of his Holy Spirit. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is overly sensitive to, it's people who should know better always resisting him, always putting him in a box, always quenching him, always lying to him in different respects like Ananias and Sapphira, always grieving him, always quenching him. That's what, re uh, re what drives away and repels the Holy Spirit's ministry. Imperfect Christians are his temple. Figure that one out. Some people are saying, I'm not a fit candidate to become baptized in the Holy Spirit because, you know, I'm, I've got issues. Well, how many of you have issues? And the rest of you are liars, right? And we all have issues. We all have things that we're working through. We're all in that process. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to come and inhabit. God loves us right now. He doesn't love us only if we follow his plan and go to some point of perfection. He knows ahead of time. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows all the blunders we're going to make, and he still loves us. Even before he sent his only son, he loved us so much. That's not to say sin that grace may abound. Of course not. But it is to say God loves us right now and he wants us, our lives to be saturated with the Spirit because what's going to be the outcome? We're going to be more like Jesus and less like us. The Holy Spirit is overly sensitive to betrayal from his temples. How, what's, what do you think is one of the main ways we grieve the Holy Spirit? You know, it's not just church services when we should have sang one more chorus of something and, oh, we missed it. That's, that's not the major way we grieve the Holy Spirit. I believe as we really study in the scriptures, you can kind of synthesize this point out of the bulk of these scriptures that reveal the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. And here it is. I believe that we grieve the Holy Spirit by not allowing him to be himself. Uh, as, as we begin to look at the Holy Spirit and who he is, we want the Holy Spirit to be who we want him to be. And what is that? We're fashioning a God after our own image. Sounds like one of the commandments, doesn't it? I mean, we've all been guilty of that at one point or another, but when we say we want it this way and this way, I've had people that would have said to me, I would love to receive the baptism of the Spirit. I would love to be, you know, empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit in some ways, but I just don't want that tongues business. Okay. You want it your way, you don't get anything. I mean, to my, to my understanding, the tongue's part is a little over the top to my natural brain. But I can only tell you that when I pray in the Spirit, something electric happens in my life. When I begin to magnify God in that a childish way of speaking words I don't even understand that have come from the, the, the heart of God, Something takes place in my life. It goes beyond my understanding. And I'm not going to say, well, I don't believe in that because it's crazy. Well, there's a lot of stuff that's crazy I don't believe in. You just go back 100 years, and they'd say that you could fit a man in a little glass box with a light behind it, and uh, they'd say, you're crazy. You know, that you could 
would no longer need uh, wires on your telephone. You just tell Alexander Graham Bell that. He'd say, you're crazy. Just because it doesn't fit in our framework of understanding, we try to make the Holy Spirit fit into what we think and understand. And we grieve him. If our, if our vision of, of who God is is only our central focus in our periphery, how much are we missing? Most of him. God's huge, his expanse. Psalm, or Isaiah 40 says he measured out the heavens with a span. Scientists say that they'll continue to discover stars as long as humanity exists. As their telescopes get bigger and better, they're discovering new stars and new galaxies on a regular basis. And one morning God just went, how big is it galaxies? All the universe? Oh, about that big, about a span. Measured the waters of the ocean in the palm of his hand. The Bible says he weighed the mountains, Isaiah 40, on his balance in heaven. Hmm. Kilimanjaro and Mount McKinley. I think I'll give the African continent the big one. But I'm going to save Mount Everest for the Himalayas. Because it weighs a little bit more. And it just needs artistically, it just needs a higher peak right there. He carved out the Grand Canyon with his pinky, you know. We were talking about an immense God, yet we want him to be like us. We do that to the Holy Spirit. We distort him. We distort his ideas, his plans, his desires. We try to fashion that God after our own image. So you have to begin to pray. I have to begin to pray. God, I don't want you to be the God that I think you should be. I want you to be the God that you really are in my life. I don't invite you to come and fulfill my imaginations of who you are. I invite you to come and reveal who you really are, who your word says you are in my life. And if it's something I've never thought of, something even that rocks my boat, that's all right. I just want it your way. And when we begin to open up ourselves that way, we begin to find the Holy Spirit working in greater power in our lives. He's sensitive, yes, but he's not skittish or, or paranoid about you sinning. Instead, when we sin, he begins to work intensely in our lives, drawing us. That's when most people run. We go and grab the fig leaves of, of covering our shame like Adam and Eve did, but the Holy Spirit's there working and, and working in our, and moving in our lives. When we must be most sensitive about grieving the Holy Spirit is when we think everything's running smoothly, everything's going fine, the status quo is being maintained, and we're not open for God to do anything new and powerful and dynamic in our lives because we're very satisfied. That's when we begin to make the Holy Spirit out to be someone that he's not. 